0: This is the African pre Podcast. I'm Hope.
1: And I'm Rajiv.
0: And if you're an African-focused founder or investor keen on learning more about Africa's tech ecosystem, this is your spot.
1: Indeed. And on this episode, we're unpacking how African health tech startups are attempting to cover the massive gaps in healthcare systems all over Africa.
0: And I was super, super excited today because this came highly recommended off Twitter to have Femi Kuti, the co-founder and CEO of Nigeria's leading digital health provider, Reliance Health, to join us for this conversation. Now, the successful close of a $40 US dollar Series B funding round in early 2022 means that Reliance Health currently boasts the highest valuation of any health tech startup on the continent right now. How exciting.
1: Wait, the highest valuation of any health tech startup? It's impressive, but what I'm really interested in understanding is what's informing that valuation.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm also looking forward to delving into the pragmatic, entrenched realities of startups trying to build businesses that address the healthcare system gaps in Africa. But before we get into all that, let's play a little game called... So what I'm over is Facebook. I feel like it's so early 2000s and there isn't really interesting news that come out of that platform. So I have to remind myself to actively log in just to keep up with like old colleagues and like friends and stuff like that. So I'm really over Facebook right now.
1: For those in South Africa, you will feel my pain and frustration when I say I'm over load shedding. For those who are not in South Africa, this is a system or a a brainwash the government has created to make us believe that the power outages are our fault because we're putting too much pressure on the system so they've created these very orchestrated and and scheduled sessions where we have no electricity sometimes for hours at a time sorry over that
0: And now, on to the main event. Can health tech cover the gaps in Africa's healthcare systems?
1: Hope, do you remember back in March, April 2020, when the pandemic was in full force, we went into lockdown, we all thought that the African tech ecosystem was going to completely collapse.
0: Yeah, I remember that time.
1: And since then, in 2020, over 40 health tech startups went on to receive Series A funding alone. And that was across... Genetic sequencing, drug procurement, health literacy. And on top of that, we've had companies like M Pharma, Visita, and of course Reliance Health, who've also successfully gone on to raise rounds post-series A. What a turnaround.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely an opportune time to reflect on what health tech founders are learning from their successes and their setbacks. So with that, let's head over to our conversation with Femi. Hi, Femi. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me.
0: So we'll jump right into it. What do you believe are some of the most problematic oversimplifications that are typically made about African healthcare systems by founders who are keen to enter the health tech space?
2: I think there are a bunch of them, but I think the biggest that I found from talking to a few other fellow founders is just thinking that the market exists at the bottom of the pyramid, right and where people are like hey i'm building this thing and sometimes there's a there's a propensity to kind of like conflate impact with bop um and what's great about many founders in in the health tech space is that they're very impact focused they really want to make a difference in in the industry they can clearly see how what they're building would really change lives but sometimes there's This conflation between like making an impact and focusing on the bottom of the pyramid, and I think the the simplification there is assuming that, you know, once you're able to develop a product that can scale across, you know, the BOP, it's going to be super successful. But usually, what you find out is building for the BOP is really complex and really difficult, and in some cases, it might be better. If you do want to serve the BOP to start, start, say, one or two demographic levels before, and then gain scale and start working your way to that part of the demographic.
1: Femi, when it comes to venture capital and looking for exponential returns, it's often easier to scale something that people want rather than something essential that people need. How do you reconcile what people want and what people need within the confines of a venture capital
2: timeline? At the end of the day, if you think about it, like venture capital is about economics, right? It's a capitalist venture. And the only true description or evidence of the existence of a want or the existence of a market is revenue, right? And and, and that's why if you're talking to VCs most of the time and you're presenting actual revenue numbers, no matter how small, right? Like, but there's revenue numbers and then there's growth. That right there is a data-backed clear fact-based existence of evidence that there's a market here and that people actually want what you're building and more importantly people are willing to part with value for what you're building and that's kind of like the way that I would sort of think about that from like a conversation with you know with with VCs
1: do you find that investors looking at african healthcare or health tech do you find that there are any blind spots or, or areas that investors themselves
2: need to familiarize themselves with a bit more? I think in my experience, sometimes there's a conflation between impact and the lack of commercials. So where sometimes some people might think that, like, oh, you know, this is really great. You're touching lives and you're making a big difference. and But, you know, can't sometimes see that commercials can exist within that. Or some can sometimes see that you can at the same time have solid commercials as well as make, you know, an impact in people's lives. And I think sometimes that sort of bias or presupposition prevents some financial investors from looking at like health tech startups and just sort of making the assumption that like, oh, you know, this is great, we're changing the world, but are there any commercials Behind this entity or this project,
0: in the opportunity that exists between sort of mapping that impact and commercial returns, how does Reliance MHO do this? Like, what is your elevator pitch, so to say, to investors?
2: Just revenue growth. Like, it's it's really, it's not common. It's really that's just just revenue growth. Um, I think and I think in our case, it was, you know, we were sort of growing revenue about three x year over year. And it was growing quite well and growing at like a decent clip. Cacto LTV was pretty solid. Unit economics was pretty consistent. There's really no difference between like healthcare as a business and pretty much any other startup metric that you would look at in terms of revenue growth, um, customer acquisition costs, cost to to lifetime value. It's still those same basics that, that apply. For me, I think what's also great about healthcare is the fact that in addition to that, it's not some new social media app that people can like chat with friends on, right? It's, it's actually something that has direct impact on people's lives. That's great. But for us, it was like the revenue growth was solid. The other basic startup metrics were also pretty solid. This doesn't mean that we had everything figured out. There were a few places where things were sort of off. And I think the other important thing to add is like, Sometimes the founders were always looking for perfection and it's like all the metrics have to be perfectly in the right place for somebody to be interested in talking to me. And that's not always the case. Like for us, for example, you know, there were some metrics that weren't looking particularly good, you know, but we did have a plan to say, this is what we're thinking about in terms of figuring that. And we had the awareness that that existed. The one thing that
1: we see across our healthcare portfolio is that you have longer lead times when it comes to R&D, when it comes to FDA approval. It's obviously a really, really sensitive sector because you need to have everything right and in place because you're serving people's health. How do you manage that conversation when you have a longer lead time to revenue for some of the founders listening to this who know they're onto something, it's just going to take a bit longer? How do they navigate that conversation with investors?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna caveat my answer by saying that I don't have as much experience in long lead businesses. So businesses that do need stuff like FDA approval, that do need stuff like, you know, licensing approval, um, that where licensing approval takes a while um so purely whatever i'm going to say is just based off conversations that i've had with other founders in in this space and sort of like my general thoughts i think there are different types of investors for different types of businesses it's kind of like dating right you know what's attractive to one person could be a complete turn off to another person and i think that what's consistent with you know investors in general is could this be a big deal, you know, like, yes, it's probably, th- there will be some investors who are like, look, I'm, I'm willing to wait a while for this to get to fruition, but could this end up being a, re- be a big deal? So typically at that point, when, you know, you're in the business of, Hey, it's going to take a while for us to actually get to revenue. What really needs to be sold at that point is that vision of like, Hey, this is the problem, this is the solution that we're building. If this solution that we're building works and solves the problem, this is going to be a big deal. And I think that in that kind of structure, the, the, a lot of time needs to be spent on really articulating the problem and articulating why that problem is a massive opportunity. Because to be honest, you know, at that point, if you if it's going to take a, some time to sort of get to market, you can't define the solution that you have is the answer. But if you say that it's a big problem and the problem is like serious enough, if you do manage to solve that problem, it's it's a big deal. And that's kind of like the way that I would sort of think about it. And and that's kind of like the way I know like some founders who are in that kind of situation sort of think about it as well.
0: I guess to wrap this part of the conversation up, what would you wish more people, whether it's founders or investors, knew about what it takes to actually run a successful health tech startup out of nigeria
2: i think we very often underestimate how important the team is and how much let me say of a gap we have when it comes to like talent to really build the type of companies that are solving the types of problems that we want to solve right um and and I think that that's something even I didn't really understand until we sort of got to a point where we were scaling and stuff was breaking, <laughs> stuff is breaking left and center and like, why are we not fixing this? Um, yeah, so I, I think to me, that would be the biggest thing. Just like, just not underestimating how important it is to put together the very best team and to find the very best people. That, that you can the definition of best people sort of changes based on the type of resources or the place the company is at at that point point in time. So for example, the very best person for like you know data architecture for like a seed company might not be that PhD in data science from MIT, right It, it could be you know the the data science intern who's kind of has a good idea of what they're doing. But I think that like the focus should always be on like getting the very best people for the stage that you're in as a company um, to really get you to the next stage.
1: You were talking about what you do at Reliance and you're obviously executing a sort of a dual mandate where you've got offline components, you've got physical assets, and then there's the online. And I think a lot of people tend to forget that digital technology is just one subset of technology. It's an amalgamation of various components that come together to serve overall healthcare outcomes. How do you prioritize which areas need to happen either sequentially or simultaneously as far as growth and maintaining that 3x revenue that you spoke about? And if you can, contrast that with the way in which you see uh,
2: businesses in other sectors develop, such as fintech. I think one thing to sort of add before I actually answer the, the core question is, The key thing that you're, you're sort of mentioning, which I want to reiterate is the fact that we should always remember that technology is the enabler. It's not in and of itself, the thing. Technology is really there to make stuff easier, quicker, faster, more accurate, but sometimes it's very easy to get caught up in the fact that the tech is cool and it's the tech, but. In all honesty, it isn't the tech. So for us as a company, for example, we try to emphasize that we do everything that we can to make the tech as invisible as possible. And and for me, I personally believe that that is sort of like the epitome of good tech to the point where you don't even know it's there. But things just work. And especially in the environment that we're in, where people might not be as technology literate as other, other sectors or other places, it's important that like the tech that is, exists is almost invisible, but it still does what it's supposed to do. But in terms of sort of like prioritizing initiatives, in terms of what needs to, to be done, I look at it in terms of vision and I look at it in terms of resources. So the first thing is, which is sort of the way we look at it at Reliance is does this match what our overall vision is? There's a universe of like, almost like an infinite universe of activities or initiatives that could be executed on. But you know, does this match our vision? Is this in alignment with what we have said we are as a company? That's really the first bar. The next bar after that is, do we have the resources to be able to execute on this thing. So say, for example, we wanted to build an AI mapping of diagnosis or something like that, right? The question would be, okay, do we have the resources in terms of like the engineering talent, the technical talent, as well as the time to be able to execute on something like this. And I think after that, the last sort of piece of of the framework is timing in terms of as a business. Mm -hmm. Is this the right time to sort of execute on this particular item? I was having a conversation with another founder where she was trying to decide if they can start this new business line. And I I think the first question that I kind of asked was, well, the existing business line that you have, is it generating revenue basically almost automatically? Like, has it gotten to the point where you've gone to product market fit, where it's scaling without you doing anything, um and the answer to that is no and obviously in that regard like the timing probably isn't isn't right so sort of when i think about the prioritization of you know what initiatives to work on that's sort of like the framework that i would use does it align with the vision do you have the resources and is the timing right that's what we try to apply at at reliance not we don't do it perfectly every time sometimes we might get ahead of ourselves and just decide to run on a project not listening to but but every time we do that it's like oh man we really should have thought about this a bit thought yeah. about this a bit more we want
0: to learn more about those times right when this framework didn't necessarily always translate into the anticipated success if you could just share an anecdote or two and then just as a follow-on as well in terms of just the offline and online dynamics that we've just spoken about you know there is this discomfort still within the investor community around of growing through offline channels right how have you guys managed these conversations in terms of socializing investors on the need to kind of leverage offline channels to distribute your products but also how do you finance it operationally in terms of using that as a lever to drive scale
2: i'll share one that kind of where i would say we sort of fell ass backwards into something that did end up working but it was a massive pain Uh, and that's really our clinics right so I, i think we were sort of thinking about it from the point of view of Hey, look, one of the biggest problems that we have is working is sort of enforcing quality with the third party clinic payers that we have. If you think about our business overall, essentially what happens is an individual pays us a fixed fee. um, And in exchange, when they go to a clinic, we sort of reimburse that clinic for their care. But the challenge we were having was in some cases, those clinics or those facilities weren't providing the best standard of care. And so we're like, Hey guys, you know what, let's just like, kind of like start our own clinic, right? Like just just do this ourselves. And we didn't really take enough time to sort of think through, well, first of all, does this align with the vision? I think on the surface it kind of did. So that was an easy piece of the framework. The second thing was like, do we have the resources to do this? And the third thing was about like timing. Is this really the right time for us to focus on it? I think we did the first two pieces, which was like, yeah, no, this is totally in alignment with our vision. The second piece of like resources. Yeah, we can kind of like finagle some of the resources to execute this, but we didn't spend as much time thinking about like, well, is this what we should be focusing on right now? So if I think about it, we're probably, I want to say like a a, a year and a half too early on, on the clinic piece. Um, but the reason why I kind of say we kind of fell ass backwards into something that worked was because even though it was clear that like, oh, we might've done this a bit earlier than we should have, we were able to kind of like figure out a way to sort of make it work. And there were a bunch of learnings from that, but I think that's probably the, the one that comes readily to mind in terms of where we haven't followed or we didn't follow the framework as as properly as 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 we should have and in that case it was fine it worked fine but it was a pain um i would have hoped that we didn't have to go through that pain i think the key point with regards to like the online offline thing is sort of alluding to what i was initially saying that not every investor is the right investor for for everyone right and 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 i think sometimes we kind of need to i understand that there's sometimes a paucity of investors but but it's it's sometimes easier if you how do it how do they say it you know pushing against an open door versus pushing against a closed door so in conversations that we've had we've sort of had conversations with some investors who are like no we totally get what you guys are doing with offline clinics In the experience that we've had with businesses that have an online offline component, the offline piece is a very strong anchor and in some cases a moot for the business versus a pure play (laughs) online online piece. And there's some people who get it. If you do want to push against the closed door where people don't get it, it, in a case, usually you try to make a business case and make it as logical as you can. I'm not saying that every investor that we've worked with absolutely got our proposition. So in our business, for example, we have our online piece. We also have our offline clinics. So the online piece is kind of like the telemedicine. We also have the offline piece where people are visiting clinics and also some of the clinics that we build and run ourselves. And I think one of our earlier investors, they didn't get the importance of of the offline piece as well. We tried to make a case and they sort of like understood it logically, but didn't really kind of grok what it meant. But by the time we started executing, they were like, oh, now we get what you're doing. now we see how this and to the point where now they're like, you are not pushing hard enough on the offline piece. And I'm like, come on. But I think in that regard, what essentially changed what they were sort of making their decision on other parts of the business so it's very rare to find investors like i think the business sort of makes sense overall there may be some parts of it that we don't totally get and we're going to work with you on that and and that's sort of like the way we sort of navigated that that scenario but at the same time they're just going to be some people who don't get it right like okay i don't know why you're doing this i think it's a bad idea all right sorry probably why not. it doesn't make sense for us to work together
0: At the stage that your business is in currently, what are the things that keep you up at night? So what are the top three challenges that are always top of mind for you that you're always kind of trying to wrap your head around in terms of finding solutions for?
2: The three biggest things that I would say sort of keep us up at night would be the number one at the top of that list is definitely people. And I think we don't spend as much time talking about talent in the startup world as we should. And I think one thing that we forget when we think about the the core tech hubs or the tech ecosystems that have been super successful, you know, if you look at London, if you look at Sweden, if you look at Silicon Valley, you know, if you look at New York, Israel, for example, they've been super successful on, on, on the technology side, one thing that we don't talk about that a lot of them have is an abundance of really good talent, an abundance of it. And so if you're looking at say Silicon Valley, for example, You have people who have like tons of experience looking at startups at different stages of growth and they can bring learnings. They've kind of made all those mistakes. I mean, some people might argue that we're early in the evolution of that and then we're building those muscles, which is is fine. But I think it is a conversation that we need to have. So I think at the top of my list would definitely be people and just like really talented, capable professionals across the entire spectrum from junior people to executives. And for me, keeping me awake is just like, how do we find those people who are able to do really great work and who are just like, you know, tap sharp. Um, the second thing would be engineering and engineering because of like the globalization that sort of exists in tech. And I think tech lends itself a lot to that is as a company that's based in Africa, you're not really competing against just other African companies You're also competing against companies in other markets who are building for developing markets, right? Like, so recently someone was talking to me about a company that's based in the UK that's building EMRs for Africa, right? And so when you're in that kind of setup, your core product has to be like at a global level, right? Like you can't come with some rinky dink product that you kind of hack together with a bunch of like mid-level engineering interns and expect that it's going to compete. It's not. Like it's just, it doesn't, that doesn't work anymore. Right? Um, so I think one thing that we have sort of focused on is like, how do we build our engineering capability and our product? So I think maybe to rephrase that will probably be engineering and product. So what kind of keeps me awake at night is how do we build our product and how do we build the engineering or the infrastructure behind that product to make sure that it's world-class and that it continues to function at a world-class level. And I think the last one, which is to a lesser extent is a bit of a cultural change. And I'll say cultural change from the point of view of just believing that stuff is possible. I think I remember when we started Reliance, one of the biggest things that we had to fight against. And it's crazy because it's a really hard thing to fight against. But one thing that we had to fight against was the beliefs of it's not going to work here. And you're like, wait, okay, fine. It might not. Can you kind of walk me through the reasons why this thing is not going to work here? And then you kind of see that like, a lot of that is sort of like cultural thinking and not really based in fact. And then we try to counteract that by saying stuff like, well, people said exactly the same thing about like cell phones or GSM and look at, you know, the proliferation of cell phones that we have. I love to use the example of like ATMs and ATM cards in Nigeria, like they've proliferated massively and they all started with the same story, but that's not going to work here. So I think those are kind of the three things that keep me up at night, you know, people. Um, product and engineering and like creating that cultural change that believes anything is possible.
0: And that was Femi Kuti, CEO and co-founder of Reliance Health. A big thank you to Femi for joining us on that conversation.
1: And by the way, shout out to Tonya, Olisa, and and the rest of the team at Reliance for their help in lining up Femi for us. And a special thank you to Keji Mustafa at Partech for the hookup. We appreciate you, fam. We do.
0: So listen, are you a health tech founder building on the continent? We'd love to hear which part of the show stood out to you. Drop us a note via hello at africanpreseed.com or post a comment using the hashtag AfricanPreseed to let us know what is trending in your world.
1: And we're not just being nice. We really would love to hear from you. But that's all for now, though. I'm Rajiv. And I'm Hope. And this has been the African Preseed Podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.
0: Now, what you've just heard is the first part of our conversation with Femi. If you'd like to hear the second and final part of our chat with him, all you have to do is head to Africanpreceed.com and sign up for our newsletter and we'll give you exclusive access to the podcast. You know, just because you deserve it.